0: I have some really exciting news for listeners of the Lifestyle Investor podcast. Most people think lifestyle investing is about making more money or creating additional passive income streams. And while that is part of it, the most savvy lifestyle investors understand that having a solid tax strategy is fundamental and really foundational to creating wealth. I firmly believe that having the right tax strategy is the single best investment that you can make. I know tax strategy isn't the sexiest topic, but once you understand a few key elements to the IRS playbook, the compounding benefit you receive year after year is enormously significant. In fact, we have members inside the Lifestyle Investor Mastermind who have used these strategies and have saved hundreds of thousands of dollars, and in some cases, millions of dollars. This is not a nice-to-have if you're interested in growing your wealth. This is a must. In our brand-new Tax Strategy Masterclass, I have hand-selected and shared the details of the 28 most valuable strategies to help you increase your tax savings this year and for years to come. Plus, if you want to hire a top-tier tax strategist, it can easily set you back tens of thousands of dollars, if not more. And you want to make sure that you have the best, most accurate information to ensure that you're hiring the right person for you. That's why we included a whole section with advice, resources, and multiple interviews with my personal tax specialists to help you build a bulletproof tax team, but for a fraction of the cost. The entire tax strategy masterclass was designed for people like you who want to keep more of their hard-earned money without having to sift through the complicated tax code. If you're interested, head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash tax to learn more about the course or set up a free consultation call with our team at lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation. Again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash tax. Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth while gaining total freedom from your business or job. That's what lifestyle investing is all about. I'm your host, Justin Donald, and in less than two years, my investments drove enough passive income for both my wife and me to quit our jobs. And now I want to show you how to do the same. I want to teach you how to create wealth without creating a job. You'll learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over eight figures all before the age of 40. If you want to learn all about low risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. Today, I'm thrilled to be speaking with my friend Jake Harris, a very successful entrepreneur and real estate investor. In his new book, Catching Knives, A Guide to Investing in Distressed Commercial Real Estate, he shares practical advice and personal anecdotes to help you embrace the next economic downturn and navigate the risk of distressed investing. Jake became a millionaire before the age of 30, but soon found himself overextended and with massive debt in the middle of a monumental recession. However, he emerged stronger than ever before by building a portfolio that leveraged distressed market opportunities. In today's conversation, we talk through what went wrong for him early on, how he reinvented himself in his current field, and how to dream big, create leverage, and truly scale your investments. Just a side note, the sound quality on this particular podcast was a little off. However, the content was so great that I wanted to make sure we still got it out to our audience. One more thing before we get into today's interview. If you haven't already, be sure to hit the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen so new episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. Thanks for listening, and without further delay, my conversation with Jake Harris. All right. Well, I am just thrilled to be here today uh, with my friend Jake. And, you know, Jake, it's been a little while since we've connected. But, uh, you know, it's really fun thinking about um, just where we came from, how we got to know each other. And uh, we actually met originally at a Front Row Dad's Retreat, didn't we? I believe
1: so. I think we were. Well, I think we we're having barbecue. Um, I, I remember kind of running around, and you know, I'm I'm a fan of barbecue. Uh, so, and uh, I think just that, and then obviously sharing uh, some parenting stories, and I think connected up, and then it was like, hey, you like real estate? You, uh, I like real estate, you know. And it just kind of took off from there. So
0: we just hit it off, but I remember uh, back when uh, what was it Uncle Bill's uh, was still around. Uh, unfortunately, that place went out of business, but uh, we had some real good time catching up and. Kind of learning each other's business, and and uh, I we have a ton of mutual friends, and it's it's funny because sometimes as you you know y- your network grows, you have all these people that keep pointing back to the same person, and that's kind of what the situation was like just recently here with you. And it's like, oh yeah, we should reconnect. I should bring you on the show. Uh, we should catch up and hang out. So how are you? Amazing. I, I mean,
1: it, it, it seems uh, interesting as far as, you know, my my wife and I were just um, talking the other day. We are actually, um, some things are different, like church is still kind of online more or less. Um, they just started opening up. I'm, you know, most of the time here in California, I also split some time down in Texas, but, um, you know, and they're talking through like how crazy life is and how everything is. And I was like, kind of the same for us and it's been unbelievable the blessings that we've had and the opportunities and, and things that just been you know really really fantastic and so you know from a real estate perspective and and I have a, a book coming out next next uh, week um, and so like you know during that kind of period where I had a little bit extra time I was able to, to pour it into some areas that I was uh, you know had been intending to get to. And now all of a sudden I had extra time. So I was like, let's do it. And so it's it's just exciting to see, you know, doubling down on, on my own kind of activity and, and own kind of intellectual property. And and uh, I'm just really, really excited to, to be that,
0: share it with you, share it with, with the world more or less. That's awesome. Well, you and I have been on a, a very similar path in many regards, uh, from the standpoint of family to business to uh, the fact that we both wrote books during the pandemic when there was more time at home, it's like, well, what do you do with this time? Uh, obviously, you you know, you know, give more time to friends and family and uh, relationships, but at the same time, it created just an awesome opportunity to really capture some thoughts and ideas. So I journaled, uh, I decided to, to journal every single day for the year and just capture all these really cool moments. And in the process of journaling, Uh, I was able to write this really fun and incredible book, and I'm just very pleased with the end result. And so I'm excited on the show today to be able to talk about your book. Um, And before we get into it, I'd love to have our audience our listeners get a chance to learn more about you and kind of where you started and where you came from, because you're a very successful entrepreneur and uh, real estate investor. Uh, you've done well in other things too. But, you know, your your success is going to leave some clues. And I'm curious where you started and how you got there.
1: Yeah, so, um, uh, you know, I kind of break this down, you know, some of this is in the book, some's not in the book, I kind of grew up on a construction site. Um, You know, uh, my dad and mom had bought this old a uh, farmhouse. And uh, it was the head house of an orchard, a thousand acre orchard in Central uh, Valley of California. It was built in 1888. And uh, we lived in a 16 foot camp trailer on the property and fixed up this old house. And I mean, like this old house that didn't even have, you know, foundation, it sat on rocks. And so we jacked up the house and poured a foundation and like a multiple year project of, you know, fixing up this old house. And so, like that was kind of where I, I grew up is, you know, there's pictures of me carrying sheets of plywood. And I mean, my mom used to give us baths and a wheelbarrow. And so it didn't, you know, really dawn on me until you know later when I was kind of looking back. And you know, they say that hindsight's 2020. You know, it was like now I see that string that's kind of like my my childhood. You know, I went off into the army. And, you know, somebody, you know, gave me uh, the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it was just like, ah, like, you know, this is what I want to do. Like, this is it. And so as I got out of the army, I, you know, started bartending in uh, in a country club. You know, I wanted to be in proximity of, of, you know, people that had levels of success. And I leveraged some of that and some of those relationships to you know, kind of clue into the next steps. And they said, you know, commercial construction, or actually just said construction in general, but the people that come from the trades have the shortest learning curve to real estate because everything involving, you know, real estate has a contractor. It's fixing the kitchen, you know, building a high rise, building a subdivision. There's a contractor involved in that. And so the guys that come from the trades or gals or whatever, you know, the people that come from the trades they know what things should cost, how long they should take, and you know uh, you know every single kind of aspect of that because let's be honest contractors want to make as much money as they can possibly make and take as much time as they can possibly make and so that he advised me to kind of get in and do that that's what I did I got into commercial construction uh, estimating then superintendent and then project management and I worked uh, you know our main client was equity office properties which was Sam Zells you know, REIT, you know, monster REIT, uh, before he sold it off to Blackstone. And I, I ran fixing up office buildings, basically, you know, uh, gutting three, four, five, six story office buildings, putting in new tenants, cleaning them up, kind of doing this value add, you know, component. I went off on my own, created some success, you know, ran down to Phoenix and started flipping houses. And then, you know, kind of the, the start of the story is, you know, uh, is me losing everything. You know, I remember, uh, you know, sitting on a street corner outside of a house in Tucson that I was working in a, an adobe house just up the street from the uh, U of A. And uh, I was crying and I was saying a prayer. Could I just be worth no money? Zero. Zero like I wanted to start over, wipe the slate clean because I had a portfolio that was declining in value and I ran out of money before I could liquidate the portfolio and so it was still going down and I owed 10, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars more than I had money and I just had no way even to get out of that. But the flip side of that same coin was what birth you know, the distressed investing, I was able to kind of get back in. And and it was like, real estate is really what I want to do forever. And, you know, so I plan on living another 100 years from now. And so I was just when I look back at that, it was just kind of the start. And there were some stumblings and failures. And, and then that really kind of, you know, uh, which you can get a lot more details into the book is, you know, what, some of the things that I made mistakes, some of the systems that I needed to put into place um, because I didn't have them. And, you know, so, and that's the hopes is to give people some of those nuggets while I happen to fail that doesn't have to be the reality. There are people that have success and then just build upon that success. Um, I didn't have, you know, while I did have some mentors, I just didn't know what I didn't know. And now this is the opportunity to kind of share that out with the world is that, hey, man, there's lots of stuff that we can learn from and and help each other out, kind of raise the tide of the collective, uh, the masses of people looking to do real estate investing. Wow, that is
0: really intense. So uh, I'm curious what you see as the biggest, uh, I guess, reasons that everything fell apart And then at the same time, what the biggest lessons were that you came out of that experience with? Yeah. So fortunately, I was
1: able to connect up with Robert Kiyosaki, you know, at some points during, you know, that time in the run up. And I actually thought I was smarter than him and all those advisors and the other people. They're like, hey, a crash is coming. A crash is coming. And I was like, dude, you guys just don't know I'm, you know, I'm so smart, you know, and then it was like, I'm so naive, and, you know, just uninformed. And so I actually went back, um, went back to school, I went to grad school and went and got a a degree in international real estate and finance. Part of that, because I was like, hey, I'm, doubling, tripling down on myself and and the future kind of investment, I kind of learned the the bigger macro plays of things that were going on. And so then why did the market crash, you know, and how was, you know, obviously, I think, you know, some people or most people are a lot familiar with the, the movie, The Big Short or the book of that and how, you know, there was an oversupply of the market of homes across the country and, you know, you had people buying three, four, five, six, eight, ten 10 houses and not living in them. And so they were overbuilding the housing supply and, you know, and then caused this, this kind of, you know, macro level kind of correction. And so that additional education, was very valuable for me, because it also started educating me on the new languages of kind of institutional investing, portfolio kind of management. And even one of the things I use it as kind of an illustration is, so I started flipping houses, you know, at scale. And so I've done, I don't know, 1,200 flips in 23 states, we put together some single family rental portfolios that we sold off to, you know, invitation homes and Tricon and some of the other big institutional investors. What was interesting is, I'll give you a little, you know, uh, nugget to that is, they were buying houses for more than market value. You know, so I was there, you know, flipping houses, you know, uh, I was like, hey, I, you know, let's say arbitrarily that a house is worth $300,000. So, you know, I mean, you you can do the math. You'd be like, if the house is worth $300,000, I need to buy it for $225,000 just to make a margin. I'm going to have to fix it up. I have sales commission. I have all of these other things. And, you know, to, to make a good deal, I need to buy it for less. Well, they were coming and buying at auction and they're buying it for $325,000 at auction. And I was just like, whoa what the heck is going on here? Like it's worth 300 right now fixed up and you're buying it not fixed up for 325. Like, and so I even became a a vendor for them. And so I sold them a portfolio. We sold them some houses. And so I bought it at trustee sale. I had fixed it up with my construction company. Then we sold them turnkey, ready to go. And then I got a work order to go fix up the houses again from them. And I was just like, man, because it was like this address looks familiar. I went to the house and I was like, hey, this is like perfect, brand new carpet, brand new appliances, freshly painted, turnkey, ready to go. I was like, hey, maybe you guys made a mistake and you sent me this order. Um, And they're like, no, no, we want our color carpet and our appliance set and our paint colors take all that stuff out and put in our stuff. And so we're still gonna pay you to do that. And I was just like, I don't, I'm I just like, so Jonathan Gray, who is like, you know, Uber smart on real estate investing, you know, he runs uh, um, Blackstone's real estate division. And I mean, like the guy's like wicked smart. And I was like, so that guy, puppet masters doing this, but there's people that are paying crazy prices. So then, what it what I really boiled it down. It took me some time, some years. Was, you know, I was really good at kind of the micro detail. I could save five cents a linear foot on baseboard. I knew where to get the tile for the cheapest, or the paint, or the other thing. Like I was really good at that, and that's how I could add some additional margins into some of these deals. Blackstone was macro correct, um, and so they were buying off a. Of previous peak price. So they said previously these houses were 500,000. So we'll pay up to 75% of that value all fixed up. And then when it shoulders off that 500,000 price, then we'll sell it again. So it doesn't really matter what that, that baseboard cost or putting appliances in twice or painting the interior twice or whatever, because they were playing a different game with a different kind of portfolio management. And so they were macro correct and made $7 billion. I was micro correct and made a hundred and, you know, or saved $111, you know, like it was just like, which one do you want to be? And so to me, that was the understanding of like, I need to do things bigger. I need to think bigger. I need to expand what I'm doing. And then that obviously subsequent over some years expanded us to a nationwide kind of investments and, and other things. It's a pandemic right now, or hopefully we're winding down a pandemic. Is there going to be distress? Is there going to be opportunities? I believe there is. Um, I believe there's going to be you know certain asset types that that you know once some of the printing and the PPP loans and the other things like that wind off, there's going to be some opportunities.
0: Well, Jake, I, I love your story, and we have a lot of similarity because I helped build a company with a couple of my uh, friends and, and partners that uh, we ended up doing similar work for these institutional investors, Blackstone being one of them, Invitation Homes and uh, American Homes for Rent. And uh, I mean, just the the list goes on and on and on. Uh, And so our company, IFM Restoration Services at a high level, you know, these Main Street Renewals, another one of our big clients here out of Austin, And um, there is just so much opportunity in that space. And it was cool, you know, hearing your story, I I see that you were able to capitalize on each side, right? So you were able to uh, act as a vendor where you got paid to do the work of, you know, a rehab, a turn, a maintenance, a whatever. Uh, But you got to see the bigger play, the bigger story, which is, hey, when you have economies of scale and you own this big of a portfolio of single-family homes in a certain market, and they're all done a certain way, a certain look, a certain color, a certain appliance. Uh, you know, They have the luxury of being able to buy things at bulk and having their discounts as well. Uh, and, and it is interesting what happens at scale versus a one-off deal. It is night and day. I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on that because I've lived this firsthand.
1: Yeah. And that's um, exactly as you said, Scale, you know, it it leverage, you know, and and so that's, I I think that, you know, one of the most important things. And so we, we break down is, you know, first of all, goals are very important to determine direction. However, I'm also a big believer. So like goals are great for people that want to win once. Systems are for people that want to have repeated success. And so when you take that is the goals and then the systems that you build allow you to kind of scale that. And then more importantly is then taking and adding leverage to that. That can be leverage of just a traditional sense of financing or that can be leveraging who's, not how, you know, leveraging people, uh, leveraging a greater force than just you. And so, um, I, you know, I think the commonality that we, we have is their understanding is that, you know, you can make more money, you can't make more time. And so time becomes super, super valuable to you. And, and that's where the institutional players and investors understand the, the, the big scale of this is it's the same amount of work to flip a twenty-five dollars or $50,000 or $100,000 house as it is to flip a million-dollar house. It's the same you know, amount of work to do a $2 million deal as to do a $200 million deal. Same amount of work, same amount of time. The numbers have then been moved over a little bit. And then when you're playing on these bigger kind of uh, scales, is the multiplier is much greater? You make- a 10% return on a $200 million deal, wow, that's $20 million, which could be a life-changing amount of money, where you make a 10% return on a $100,000 deal, that's 10 grand. I'm not saying 10 grand is not a lot of money, but it's not typically a life-changing amount of money. And so and that's where scale and where we've kind of been looking at is, you know, how do we do this on a little bit bigger level? Um, and, and you know where I found that my sweet spot is that three to thirty million dollar kind of deal size because it's not competing with the institutional investors. I go do the hard work that puts the pretty bow and hands it off to them because they don't want to write checks for less than 50 or hundred million dollars. I have one. Um, we're trying to queue up kind of a bigger kind of assemblage and they're like, yeah, 50 million equity check is just too small. We're not even going to really look at that. And so I was just like, wow, that's kind of crazy to me. But that just is is trending as far as, you know, one of the other crazy, you know, facts is that one third of all the US dollars ever in the history of the world were just created in the last 12 months. $20 $20 trillion. So it was like, I, to me, you, we can get into some, you know, nerdy finance talk is saying that every central bank in the, in the world's doing it at the same time that causes and, and pulls down inflationary pressures. And is there going to be deflation? And is technology going to drive down? Maybe. But to me, when you print that much money, you create that much money, it causes inflation. And so then again, to leverage, and to scalability is I think we're ushering in a golden era of opportunity for anyone that wants to kind of be in in solid assets. And um, I would just rather use my time on things that are a little bit bigger in size and check size. Again, that happens to be, I have 20 years investing experience, um, that's not going to be for everyone. A good deal for me may be a terrible deal for someone else and vice versa. A good deal for, for them may be a terrible deal for me. So it's very hard to determine and, and say what's the right deal. Scale might be doing 10 houses in, in a year for somebody. Um, you know, For me, it might be 1,000. I, I don't know. But there's definitely a multiplier effect when you start getting and thinking bigger and then what happens is you get momentum and then it snowballs on itself and then you get the the people that want to throw big money at you or projects
0: yeah there's no doubt i mean we could talk about so many of the things you just said in depth um i mean we could have a whole show just on two of the topics you just mentioned i mean let's look at the this whole idea of like leverage and scale So uh, what a lot of people maybe don't realize is you you gave a great example of going from like a $200,000 home to a $2 million home to a $200 million home. But then let's take like the work that you're using. So you hire a crew to do one job. Well, instead of having them do one job, let's say you have two homes for the same price point or three homes, you have the same crew, do them all. Uh, And you can get their uh, labor for cheaper. Uh, So, and and there are a lot of different ways to do that. One of the things we did at IFM Restoration is we utilized um, technology for leverage, and we were able to build a proprietary software, like you said, that implements systems, has a protocol, routes people properly, handles, you know, the work order flow. Uh, just in its own special way that's different than what anyone else is doing. And so that's really why we had so much interest when we uh, were looking to raise money on a series A uh, is because of that, because of the technology platform that was overlaid over a service-based company. So in other words, we were considered a tech company, even though we, you know, by any other stretch of the imagination are nothing more than a service company. Um, But, it really enhanced our multiple, but it gives so much leverage. So it created it did two things at once. It created leverage and it created uh, those systems, a protocol to follow the standard operating procedures, uh, which I think is, is big. Uh, something else that you mentioned is the money in the system and how much is being printed. And so um, I have read some reports that say that it goes even as high as 40% of the money in circulation today was printed in the last 12 months and that doesn't count the 1.9 trillion that is about to come out right and it doesn't uh, even take into account the 3 trillion that is now like surplus spending uh for you know all these ancillary things i mean this is a lot of money and and there is going to be a long-term uh, there are ramifications. There will be a some form of ramifications to this money printing. It just depends when it shows up. You know, whenever the money printing stops, that's generally when it's going to happen. So how long can uh, a, an economy, how long can a government, how long can a nation continue to print money and prop up something that is completely artificial? It's really fascinating. And it's, you know, it's like a time... That we've never seen before. Yeah.
1: And which is interesting, you, you bring up that. Um, so I was, you know, I gain a lot of insight from books. And so, one of the things, as far as we're talking leverage, and um, I say the return on investment or return on time of a book is probably one of the greatest that you can ever get because really, you know, think about it, you know, even your own book, you know, as far as maybe, and then now I'm just maybe using my, you know, uh, uh, personal experience of, the, of, of my book coming out is, you know, it took me maybe a year, nine months, a year to kind of work through the writing of it, you know, during during the pandemic. But it was like, it really took me 20 years of experience to get to the level to be able to write it in that year's time. And so really what people are getting is, they're getting 15, 20 years worth of experience in call it a few hours, you know, of, of time, you know, that's trying to be very concise to, to those lessons learned. I mean, if you compare that to uh, blogs or to, you know, other types of articles, even long format kind of medium articles or, you know, the, you know, business journals or some of those other ones, you know, that those might be weeks or or months, and you leverage that out, is that you're getting a, a significant return on investment uh, by reading books. And so I bring that up because Ray Dalio, uh, his, his book Principles, which is, you know, like one of those just like fantastic books. You know, I was listening to him and I was reading through it and how he went you know, uh, short on the market when Reagan became president and lost everything, like wiped out, had to go borrow money from his dad, you know, those kind of things. And he really, he broke it down was one of his principles was, was he only investing given his lifetime's experience? And so the market that he'd only seen in his, you know, maybe at that time, 20 years or 15 years or whatever it was. And he's like, he went and did a deep dive study to study like markets forever. And, 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 you know, how how have they reacted, how have there been similarities? And to me, it was that kind of same exact thing where I was just like, am I making and basing all my investment thesis and things that I've experienced in my 15 years or, you know, 20 years of investing experience and not forever. And so I spent, you know, a good year and a half, you know, and, and it's still kind of ongoing call it a couple years worth of diving and studying every real estate market in the United States since its inception. So since people came over and will we'll not say, you know the, the the Native Americans, but like you know the you know British started speculating on tobacco crops and the ebbs and flows of those markets and how they change. And there there has been some similarities as far as when they overinflate. You know, a national bank kind of component was a rollout in the early twenties that led to the the Roaring Twenties and then the Great Depression. And I was like, there's some things that look. Real similar to what's happening today, like we could have the roaring 20s, a huge, amazing fun ride, and then a very, very sad crash, you know? And and the people that are starting to pay attention to that and looking for those opportunities. And you know, my book is about investing into distressed commercial real estate. So I was like, you know, uh, there's some of these things that you need to be learning before the crash actually happens. And also subsequently, like there are going to be stuff that goes into foreclosure right now. Like, I mean, I think there's going to be hotels, there's, you know, shopping centers, there are assets uh, that are going to be going into foreclosure and going into distress today. Is work from home going to be a real thing, you know, in the the foreseeable future? Is our office going to ever come back? You know, we we don't know. Um, But there's some things that you need to be, you know, taking nuggets that I got from Ray Dalio from his experience of 40 years that then pulled back. And so it's like that, that book and leveraging other people's knowledge. Um, again, technology is, is very valuable and way to do that as well. Um, you know, But yeah, it's just like so many of those things. We're just in a whole new time. It's not gonna be like it was before because we're doing different, weird stuff.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you have experts on both sides of the equation. You have really smart people that are like, no, nope, it's going to be fine. There's going to be another boom for 10 more years. And you've got other people that say, actually, we're starting and it's going to be a seven year you know, recession. And this is year one, you know, starting within the next six weeks. I, I mean, I literally just in the last seven days attended events with some very high level uh, people that I'm not even allowed to say who said these things. Um, but very big, prominent movers and shakers in uh, the United States, in the banking system, in um, just kind of high, high levels of, of in, investing. And I got literally both of those extremes inside of this last week, inside of three days apart from each other, uh, two like top secret meetings. So it's, it's fascinating. You know, one thing I do just want to point out It's really just, to me, a testament to the person that you are, that you could experience the adversity that you had, that uh, you lost it all. But instead of folding, I admire and respect you so much for saying, let me double down. Let me go to school. Let me learn more about real estate. Let me read books like Ray Dalio's book, which, by the way, is on my bookshelf right behind me. Uh, if anyone, if any of our, our audience hasn't read it yet, it's a great book. Um, and in fact, he just came out publicly with, you know, his concerns for the future. And, and Ray Dalio is very concerned about the future. And so it's fascinating just like considering all these options that exist and you really don't want to be fearful, but at the same time, you want to be cautious. I think that you are a great story to anyone. I'm excited to learn more about it as your book comes out, just seeing how you were able to make that decision. But I just want to give you total praise for, for doing that because most people that, you know, get punched in the face, they just pull, they stop, you know, they don't fight back and, and it's game over for them.
1: Yeah. And that's, uh, I appreciate that. I think most sane people would have given up. So, uh, We kind of joke uh, my my wife uh, when I met her, it was very, you know, started dating her and I met her and I told her she was the one we're going to get married. Like pretty early on, like within the first, like, uh, call it maybe month, uh, a few weeks, month. And I was like, you're it. Like we're getting married. We're going to have kids. Like this is, you're it. And uh, she's like, you're crazy. And I was like, that's firmly established. I already know that I'm crazy. And so I have just a personal theory that everyone's crazy once you get to know them. Like we put this whole facade like look, I'm totally normal, I'm just like everyone. I'm like no, we're all crazy. We're all winging it. And so that is like, you know, and then what happens is you just your crazy aligns with their crazy and you're like, ah, I like that. Ah, let's do it. We my wife is super funny. She's uh Man, I just remember, you know, uh, she's super witty. And so she'd like do these like kind of like pun things and text messages. And I was just like, to me, that's I was like, I love that. Uh, and so, uh, and, you know, she's, she's amazing. That didn't, you know, address kind of your your question of, of diving back. And I was like, but it's just like, I was, I believe that, you know, uh, God, you know, gave me a certain set of talents and a certain set of skills that, you know, I need to you know, play full out with. I happen to believe in, in in a higher power and that I go other people that might be, you know, the, the universe or or maybe nothing at all. But, you know, for me, that belief is that I was given a certain set of skills and talents. And, you know, it, it real estate really highlights those and really fires in on those. You know, a lot of it has to do with numbers and, and creatively solving problems and seeing things that don't exist yet and seeing those opportunities. And so again, to leverage other people, Ed Milet, I love Ed Milet, um, hearing him, hearing his story, but, you know, he said there's a, a, a version of it. I'll kind of, you know, give the cliff notes, but you know, when he goes to heaven, he's like, I envision that I'm going to see the man that of the potential I could have been if I played full out. And he's like, my goal is that be my mirror image of who I was. And so when I look at that is, if God is with me, who can be against me? As far as, you know, when I I look at that and I was just like, well, if I was given and blessed with these certain talents, you know, this is oftentimes me getting in my own way. I need to just go double down into that and triple or quadruple. And so I just pour in and I'm going to do what I can do. There's a lot of things that I'm not good at, I tell my wife, I know she's shocked that I'm not perfect. Um, she, she is, but, uh, I, I, there's lots of things that I'm not good at. There are some things that I'm pretty darn good at, and I'm just going to keep hammering away at those things
0: that I am good at. And that fire me up. That's great perspective. And, you know, we're very much on the same page on that. You know, I do believe that everyone's blessed with, with God giving gifts and, um, that when they can really tap into those gifts, you know that's that's their genius zone. That, that is where they get into flow and where time will disappear because they're doing what they're created to do. Uh, and so I think it's great and exciting and expi- and really just inspiring that you have figured that out, what that is, the gifts and the skill set that you have. Um, I think that's incredible. And that doesn't necessarily make the journey easy, but it can give you the willpower when things don't go as planned to be able to push through and to persevere, which you've clearly been able to do and you've done a great job with. Um, So not only did you build things back, you know, to be successful, you built them back to be much more successful, incredibly more successful. And uh, you, you really are a great example of, of the guy that gets knocked down, that totally gets, you know, pummeled and gets back up and becomes the champ. And so I, I think that that's really admirable. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious who along the way, besides Robert Kiyosaki, and he was very pivotal, uh, he, he was a very pivotal person in my life. From the standpoint of of reading his books and having his influence, but who else were influences that helped you kind of move back up after you had your fall? Who picked you up? That's interesting. So um, I think
1: books again. I'm going to keep going on that and harping on on the books is that they get to be a little bit of mentors, you know, without you know uh, necessarily getting that same proximity to them. What I realized is, you know, I've been myopically focused on, hey, being a millionaire, like I kind of didn't do anything else. I was 80, 90 pounds overweight, you know, uh, had relationships falling apart. My brothers, you know, were like, dude, Jake, you're an asshole. Like, we don't even want to hang out with you. Um, And, you know, so at that time was Tim Ferriss's uh, four hour work week came out. And so for the people that do know that it's not about working four hours in a work week, it's actually about how do you 10 X everything? And, then you know, you know magnify and using leverage, you know, we were talking about that earlier. And so it, for me um, for the, kids, you know, out there that are too young. There used to be bookstores and you could go to them and they're full of books and you could like just read there. Cause I had no money. Like I'm like figuring out how to make ends meet. And so I would walk over to a bookstore and I would read, you know, at Barnes and Noble and sit there in the coffee shop, not buying the book, just reading it. And then I put it back on the shelf and then go back home. And then the next day, and I read four hour work week. And it was the start of an introspective kind of journey of like, what did I do well? What didn't I do well? Like, you know, and obviously finding those things that and then really starting to tap in. And it wasn't until, you know, I, I kind of started discovering some of those in slivers. Um, you know, Go abundance for me was a huge like, you know, next level up. I started having some levels of success. And and Aaron Amucha was a, a friend of mine that said, Hey, you need to go look into this go abundance group. And so it's allowed me to get a lot more intentional and it's been a journey. And I was like, I'm still not there. Like I'm better than I, you know, today I'm better than I was a year ago and better than I was a year ago you know, before that. But like, you know, that whole thing is like, when's enough, enough, like I never, like until I'm dead, there is a constant progression of my journey. And so, and that's one of the other key kind of takeaways was, A realization that life is an uphill journey. That's awesome. So many people think it's going to be uh, like, I'm going to get at 65 or I'm going to retire and then it's going to be super easy. I'm going to make a million dollars and then it's going to be easy. And then it's like, no, it's all uphill. I mean, you've hung out with, with, you know, David Osborne, you do the other thing. You'd be like, I'm worth a hundred million dollars. Now what? And you'd be like, you know, it's not the number. Money doesn't matter. Like that's the big thing that the, the, the epiphany that a lot of people, but it's the, about the growing, the getting better, improving yourself, putting those things in, in place that, that really give people value um, and, and allow them
0: to kind of give back. By the way, Jake, I, I want to chime in here because I couldn't agree with you more that uh, when you think about who someone is and what defines them, Unfortunately, from a societal standpoint, a lot of people do it based on net worth. Like that is their barometer of, you know, how great or successful or wonderful someone is. I actually think that there are so many better ways to measure success, Uh, one of them being, relationships, how, how well they do uh, in the relationships that they're in. Another one being health, another one being how generous they are with the uh, the income that they've assembled. I think net worth is a component of it, but it shouldn't be the one that dominates uh, in terms of like figuring out, you know, how good is someone from a, you know, I have the air quotes, uh, how successful are they? But at the same point in time, People realize that they work so hard to achieve this certain amount of money, whatever it is. And no matter where you are, that, that the goalposts are going to move. At some point in time in your life, you're going to say, hey, if I could only earn six figures uh, or if I could only have a million in the bank or if I could only get to 10 million or 100 million or whatever that number is, every time you get there, the goalposts move. So it's not about that number. It's about who you become in the process. Now, I will say that it is about covering your expenses uh, and covering your lifestyle so that way money can become more of a game so you don't grip it like you're going to lose it, that you can actually kind of relax and uh, be a lot more abundant minded uh, instead of scarcity minded when it comes to money. I think that is one huge game changer. When money becomes a game, earning it, uh, investing it, that's when it gets really fun. But until you get to that, it can create a lot of stress and it can create a lot of problems. And it is still one of the greatest reasons that couples get divorced.
1: I was just going to say someone should write a book about that. Um, but I was like, you did. And you did. And it's a fantastic book about those things that, I mean, it's, it's, it's about that lifestyle. It is exactly about the things that, that, you know, cause let's be honest, money does matter to a certain point, you know, and once you get, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs beyond some of those things, then it doesn't really matter that much. And so then it's, but if you, you're, you know, uh, Goalpost is always money. What you're going to happen is everything else is going to suffer for that. And obviously, you know, you 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 have a lot of. Uh, and why I was excited about coming on this podcast was, you know, uh, y- you, your book is a fantastic evidence of that. As far as creating that financial freedom, creating that passive income, creating those things, gamifying that um, to, to levels of success. And I think why you and I connected so well was it just like. That's the real deal. Like that's what it's all about. You know, it's it's about how much time. You know, and, and I would say you get now control of what you want to do. And so you know, there's that. So call it the the external motivations. You know, fear. You know, uh, money to a certain hunger. You know, you get past those kind of things, and which are are fantastic motivators to a certain point. But what happens is there are so many people that get beyond that, that they don't tap into the intrinsic internal motivators that, you know, is your passion, is your purpose, is your other things. And then when you find out is like, those are infinitely scalable, because in my opinion, they tap into those God given talents. And that like you said, that flow, and that thing that just like, that's, who you are and you lose track of time and become kind of almost like omnipresent as far as from the thing, not on a, on a, a deity type level, but it's just like, that's who you really are. And then that motivation will take you through everything. And it doesn't matter. The money doesn't matter to anything. You're doing the thing that you are meant to do. And so that's what I love about your book. I love about your, your energy and the way that you kind of bring this out. And so uh, I just, you know, super excited to, to call you a friend and get a chance to, to share some, some time on your podcast and uh, the message that you're putting out into the world. And I appreciate that.
0: Well, thank you so much, Jake. I, I appreciate that. And I, I love that we both share a passion for reading and learning. And uh, you've referenced your book several times. I want to know more about it. And so does our audience. So tell us, you know, what what's the name of the book and uh, and where can we find it?
1: So Catching Knives. A guide to investing into distressed commercial real estate. Um, it comes out April sixth. So, depending on when this actually airs, um, it'll be available. I think they're starting to do the first week might have the the promo to try to you know stimulate some sales on the Kindle stuff. But paperback again, I don't think there's bookstores anymore. So I was like, I I, I think it's all Amazon. Baby buy or good reads, and I don't know wherever books are sold on e- ebooks, you know, and, and and paper copies, those are all available in those places. You know, it, it has been an exciting journey to share that. Again, you're getting a snippet of the lessons learned in case studies and things that I've learned. While I made those mistakes, you know, people don't have to make them. Um, and, and if that, if I can throw down the rope to help those, those that uh, maybe young Jake. Or some of those people that you know have levels of success and they're looking to do bigger deals. And that's been a, also a big kind of audience that's been resonating with it. Some of these advanced companies. Like they figured out the kind of the flipping houses game. They're starting to have levels of success, but then they're like, man, I'm gonna have to do a gazillion of these houses to get to where I wanna go, to put the systems or put that, you know, build that lifestyle for me. I can either do a hundred flips. Or I can do a commercial deal. Again, time trade-offs is I need to do deals that are a little bit bigger. And so that's where a big part of the audience is resonating with this is, is man, I figured out how to be successful on this level. How do I go to the next level? Um, and, and commercial real estate has different terminology, different you know, factors to it. And, so, and then the, the website is Knives. Dot com. There's going to be a lot of kind of content. They're they're building out some of those other things. And, and then, you know, you can also find me on uh, on Instagram. So uh, that's uh, jake.realestate. Um, and then I put stuff out. That's the place I'm most active. They're trying to get me to do, I don't know, live streaming and Facebook stuff and all these other things that I was like, ah, it's new to me. I don't know. Maybe I have a Twitch account or, you know, uh, something soon. But uh, for right now, Catchknives.com and Instagram are probably the two platforms. And then I'm sure there'll be more of them uh, catching knives
0: uh, into the future. I love it. Well, nice job snagging an awesome Instagram name, jake.realestate. That's awesome. And uh, we'll we'll definitely get this in the show notes. Uh, I just want to thank you for your time and for sharing all this with us. And something that's important to me, I, I look to people that have had struggle in their life. And so when I find someone that's had adversity and they've been able to battle it and win, that to me is a great sign of a leader it's someone i want to follow it's someone i want to learn about and read about and so um just knowing your story and knowing what i know about you i'm thrilled for people for for our audience here to get a chance to learn more about you and to check out your book so uh definitely check it out and uh, the last thing i want to say is i always say to wrap up each episode Uh, That is, take some form of action today to moving towards the life of your dreams and a life that has financial freedom so that you can experience your gifts and your passions on your timeline. So thanks for checking in and listening today, and we'll see you next week.